It's a joy to see the house so well filled this morning. Lord bless you for being here. It's a wonderful time of inspiration as we gather around the Word of God and open our hearts to what God has for us again this morning. And so I greet you this morning in the name of our giving God. He is the one who gives us richly all things to enjoy. He is the one from whom all blessings flow. And our family has been the recipient of God's blessings here in the past month. And I want to bless you for it because your giving in different ways has been a display of God's grace. Uh, you have given as a congregation to our family uh, through the month of October as a congregation, as individuals, as a youth group. And I say thank you so much. It's encouraged our hearts. May God bless you for that. In fact, I am speaking this morning about the grace of giving. That's the title. The grace of giving. And I invite you to 2 Corinthians. Our text will be drawn from chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. We'll be reading some sets of verses from each passage here in a few moments. But to start with, I simply want to pull out two key verses. It happens to be verse 7 in each passage. Chapter 8, verse 7, and then chapter 9, verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, and utterance, and knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, See that ye abound in this grace also. Now we'll give some more context in a few moments, but Paul here is speaking about the grace of giving. The grace of giving. And he's calling the church at Corinth, and as the Spirit speaks to us at Ebenezer this morning, he's calling us to abound, to excel in the grace of giving. Now, chapter 9, verse 7, another key verse for this morning, reads this way, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. As we go through this message this morning, I want you to ponder a few questions. And one in particular what kind of giver am I? Throughout the message, may that question ring in your ears and in your mind. What kind of giver am I? Another question, is my giving a clear, a clear expression of God's grace? Another question, how can I become a more cheerful giver? How can I become a more cheerful giver? The scripture says that God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, this concept of cheerful and generous giving is one that generally sounds good to us. <laughs> At least as long as it's talk. At least when we're on the receiving end, right? It sounds wonderful to us. Or maybe when it doesn't apply directly to us, it sounds good to us. But unfortunately, 
when we realize that we may have to give something up, then sometimes we tend to become a little tight-fisted. We like the concept of generous giving, cheerful giving, but when it hits home, then we're prone to think twice. It reminds me of the story of a pastor who was speaking to his farmer friend one day. And the pastor said, So brother, if you would have a hundred horses, would you give me fifty? And the farmer said, I would do that for you. Yeah. He said, okay. What well, If you would have a hundred cows, would you give me fifty? Yeah, he said, I would be willing to do that for you. And then the pastor said, Brother, if you had two pigs, would you give me one? And the man said, now cut it out, pastor. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> you see, isn't that how we often are? <laughs> we can be that way. Everything is honky-dory until it all of a sudden, whoa, my pocketbook. Or... Then we want to think twice. And it's my desire this morning that we would be challenged to living a life of generous, cheerful giving. It becomes a lifestyle for us. And although it has a lot to do with our money, it's certainly not just about money. But it also has to do with our time that we give. It has to do with the effort, the energy that we sacrifice for the good of others. And certainly all these three things, our money, our time, and our energy, they're all closely connected. They're all outward expressions of what's inside. They really are. By means of outline this morning, we're going to first look at examples of giving, and then some encouragements for giving, and then thirdly, the effects of giving. As we think about examples of giving, we're going to go right here to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we want to notice two examples of generous and sacrificial giving. And the first is the Macedonian believers. Let's read here verses 1 through 9 of chapter 8. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Or the Apostle Paul is saying, in more modern words, it'd be, I want you to know. I want to tell you about the grace of God. And, and I want you people to understand this this morning that really what he's getting ready to share, he's getting ready to share about the grace of God. Now, that will be displayed through the Macedonian believers, but he wants to tell us about the grace of God. That is the thrust. It really harkens back to who God is. Verse 2, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us or begging us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did not as we hoped, or not as we expected, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. 
Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Did I say that the Apostle Paul really wants to tell the dear people at the church of Corinth about the grace of God? That's really what it's about. But then he went on to give this an example, an example of how the grace of God was being displayed through God's people. And it wasn't the people that you would first think of. If you would think of generous, sacrificial giving, you wouldn't have thought about the churches in Macedonia. You wouldn't have. They wouldn't have been the first to come to mind. But notice their example. That's the one he chose to use as an example. Do you think that's a coincidence? No, it's not. He says here that first, these Macedonian believers had surrendered their will to God. Verse 5. They surrendered their own selves. They gave their own selves to the Lord. And so truly, their focus was on God, not on their circumstances. And yet, look at the circumstances. We're going to focus for a moment on their circumstances. In verse 2, it says that they were going through a great trial of affliction. It says that they were living in extreme poverty. These are these generous, sacrificial givers. That was their circumstances. But yet their testimony through this time was overflowing with joy. And, and I ask you, that's a rather unlikely combination, is it not? It goes without saying that this response is not natural. Instead, it indicates that they were completely surrendered to the will of the Lord. They were sold out to God. They believed Him. They were living by faith. And so they believed that God would supply all their needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus because they didn't have physical riches. They didn't have it. And they believed in faith that God would provide because He did. He owned it all. And yet, they gave. Okay? It's one thing to say, God, I pray for these people that need help. And I pray that you would do something for them. This is starting to sound like our Sunday school lesson, right? It's one thing to say that. But what happens then when it affects our pocketbook, our wallet, our time, our energy? We expect God to do something but you know, God works through His people, right? That's how He provides. That's how He meets needs. These people here, the Macedonian believers, had a meaningful relationship with God that brought great joy to their hearts and it put a smile on their faces. Something that no amount of money could ever buy. In fact, dear people, money and the stuff of this life has a way of stealing that joy. 
has a way of taking that smile off our faces. You know, we would like to think, and the American dream says, the more you have, the happier you are. It's a dream, <laughs> okay? Don't forget, it's a dream. It doesn't work that way. The truth is that the more you have, the more stuff you amass, it has a way of stealing that joy. Taking the smile off your face. In fact, we read in Luke in the last days that people will be weighed down with all the stuff. Taking care of the boat. Well, it doesn't say that. But taking care of the camper and all this stuff. And the end times will come upon them like a snare. They will be unaware. And then we notice that these Macedonian believers, they sacrificially shared their wealth <laughs> with others. They gave it up. They shared their wealth with the saints that were in need. Another rendering says that their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. And so they were made aware of this great need and in spite of their severe condition, they gave generously. In fact, the Apostle Paul says that they gave even more than they were really able to give. They gave much more than was expected. You could say they gave till it hurt. We hear that, some, we hear that expression sometimes. I don't think that most of us have a clue what that means. But these people did. They gave till it hurt. Now, I want you to remember that generous giving is not just reserved for rich people <laughs> or for those who have much. Now think about the little story there in Luke chapter 21 where Jesus was watching as the people walked by and threw their money in the temple treasury. And he saw rich people go by and he saw Poor people go by. And the question is, which were more generous? The rich people or the poor people? Now the rich people put much more, at least in one way, than the poor people. But at the end of the little story, Jesus said that the poorest person there that went through this line actually was the most generous. Why? Jesus said that those rich men that went by, they gave out of their abundance. But that poor widow lady that went by and threw her two little coins, perhaps her two last little coins, into that treasury, she gave all of her living. Who was more generous? The poor widow was. Can you imagine the difference in faith? The amount of faith? You know, it appears here in verse 4 that perhaps there were some who thought that, that these Macedonian believers should be exempt from giving. You know, because they're so poor, don't make them give. Let's send this announcement out to the churches. But the church of Macedonia, maybe don't tell them that if they don't want to, we understand because they don't have much. <laughs> There's that, it implies that here. And they said, no, they pled, let us give. Don't steal our joy. We want to give. We must give. It flows out of what we've received. They understood that connection. 
And so it says that they pled that they could give. The privilege of sharing what they had. And, and I say, what a powerful example of generous and sacrificial giving. How could they do this? Let me suggest that those Macedonian believers had a proper perspective about the physical things of this life. They understood that the things of this life were God's, not theirs. They understood that what God had given to them was God's. That they were simply being stewards. And in fact, that was a responsibility that God had given. God had called them to be stewards of His stuff. Does that bring negligence? It ought not. It ought bring responsibility. Realizing that this is God's. And so in faith, they really were putting to practice the songwriter, what the songwriter wrote many years later, when she wrote, We give thee but thine own, whate'er the gift may be, all that we have is thine alone, a trust, O Lord, from thee. But you know, we tend to forget this. I tend to forget this when it comes to the stuff that I have. And our response, or at least our attitude, can be, but I worked for that. I mean, I've been saving up my money to buy that. You can't have that. I mean, I've wanted that for years and finally I have it. But whose is it? Whose is it? Who provided the means to purchase that? Who gave you the energy to enjoy that? You see, as you follow the trail backwards, it all goes back to God. God is the one who is at the center of all of that. You know, too often our attitude is like the little girl who was given $2 from her father. And her daddy said, little Susie, you can have the $1, you can do with it whatever you want. But the other dollar you must put in the offering church on Sunday. Okay, she felt like she could handle that. And so she said, well, Daddy, can I go to the candy store? Yeah, okay. So she went happily skipping down the lane, down the road to town, towards the candy store, thinking of all the candy she could get with that one dollar. And as she skipped down the road to the candy store, all of a sudden she tripped and she fell. And those two dollars got out of her reach. And she grabbed for the one, but the wind blew the other one away and down the storm drain. Oh, no. So she kind of picked herself up and brushed off her dress and looked at her scalloped knee and, and held the one dollar and looked at that and looked down the storm drain. She said... Well, Lord, there goes your dollar. <laughs> you know, we are just so slick. You know, that's not just little girls that do that sometimes. You know, we, we, we can have that same attitude as adults. There goes your dollar, Lord. Glad it wasn't mine that got away. First me, then God. Sometimes we have that attitude. We don't, maybe we don't say it. But within that, with, you know, in our minds, we think, you know, let me make sure. I mean, we got a big grocery list this week. 
and I've got a number of bills to pay. So let me make sure I get all that done, and then whatever's left, we'll put in the offering. I hope God gets a little bit, (laughs) you know? I mean, I'll give what I can, but let me take care of all this. Dear people, we ought to give God what's right, not just what's left. We certainly don't have the attitude of first me, then God with the Macedonian believers. But instead, we have quite an example that leaves a real challenge for us today. Well, the second example here is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that ye through His poverty might be rich. Paul says, you know that. He's speaking to the church at Corinth. You know that. You have experienced the grace of God in your life. You have seen it. That grace has been real with you. Paul writes in another place that the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. Well, how did it do that? Well, in another place we read that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so Jesus Christ came from the glories of heaven. He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. And He came as the grace of God. He was full of grace. And so when you saw Jesus Christ, you saw the Father. He was the gift of grace from God the Father to mankind. And it's, it's that, it's the grace of God that brings salvation to all men. Another place we read that for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. And so later in chapter 9 we read, thanks be to God for His unspeakable gift. The gift of what? The gift of grace. <laughs> it's the gift of God's grace. And then he says, I want you to abound in this gift of grace. I want you to abound in this grace of giving. The example of Jesus Christ. And then we, as his sons and daughters, as his children, become channels of giving, not cisterns for hoarding. And so it takes us back to the question how can I become a more cheerful giver? Well, we can learn to become a cheerful giver by studying the greatest giver the world has ever known, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this verse, verse 7 here, we, we are told a number of things, but three things in particular, what He was, what Jesus Christ was. He was rich. We read then what He became. He became poor. And we read why he did it so he could make poor people rich. Okay, that's it in a nutshell. He was rich. He became poor so that poor people could become rich. You see, leaving behind the indescribable riches and majesty of his heavenly kingdom, he came to earth and he willingly gave his life so that we could experience the unmeasurable riches of heaven. So that we could experience Jesus Christ 
as our personal Lord and Savior so that we could be a child of the King, so that we could have eternal life. In fact, John 3.16 speaks about this grace, the grace of giving and the world's greatest giver. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There it is. Everlasting life. From the greatest giver the world's ever known. See, our God is truly a giving God. Uh, The Bible says that He gives freely. He gives liberally. He gives richly. That is our God. And so truly, a cheerful giver is one that is pursuing the heart of God. A cheerful giver is one who, who desires to model their life after this giving God. I mean, what better way is there to imitate Jesus Christ than to give selflessly, to hold nothing back, but to give everything. And that begins, first of all, like the Macedonian believers, it begins with surrender to the Lord and then flowing out of that surrender is giving to one another. And of course, this should greatly influence what we do with our time, what we do with our energy, and yeah, what we do with our money. It's all part of the same ball of wax. Quite simply then, our greatest motivation for generous and cheerful giving should be that it pleases the Lord by reflecting His character and by reflecting His gift of salvation to us. Well, let's notice now some encouragement for giving. And the first is right here in this passage, and that is to grow in the grace of giving. Verse 7, once again, the call is there to, as ye have abounded in everything, to abound in this grace as well. To grow, you see, this, <laughs> the Christian life it is not a stagnant thing. It is not a one time and you're done thing, but it is a journey. It is a growing experience. It is a time of sanctification, of growing more and more into Christ's likeness. And it should be the same with our giving. The more we come to know God, the more we have a relationship with Him, the more we understand His will, the more we should have a freer wallet (laughs) because we understand that God is a giving God. We understand that more and more. Everything about salvation is giving, giving, God giving, God giving, and us receiving. And so as we learn that more and more, it should create within us a greater desire to be a giving person, sacrificially, generously, cheerfully giving. It's interesting to note that the Apostle Paul says that financial giving is related to the other spiritual gifts. Interesting. You know, what, what does he mention here in these spiritual gifts? He, he says faith, uh, the ability to speak, knowledge, wisdom, uh, diligence, love, and then he says financial giving. I find that interesting. There's a relation there. And, and truly, it's directly related to our love and compassion for those in need. You see, A laxness in giving immediately calls our love into question. And so in verse 8, he says, look, I want to test the sincerity of your love. I want to prove, I want to see if your love is genuine. I want to see if your love is real. If it's real, you'll give. 
If your love is not real, if it's only half-hearted, you're going to hold on to your pocketbook a little bit. You're going to think critically. You're going to think cynically. You're going to try to figure it out. Like, do they deserve that? Like, I shouldn't have to because they they shouldn't have gotten this position. If they would have done this, uh uh-uh. That's not a true expression of love. You see, the sincerity of our love for those around us will be manifest by our willingness to give. True love is expressed through action. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 13, that passage is packed with action. Packed with action. In fact, there's seven does. <laughs> love does this. And there's nine. Love does not do this. But it's action packed. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not just a thought. Love is not just an idea. Love is a verb. It works. It acts. And so generous and cheerful giving is a sign of a regenerate soul. It's a sign that the heart has been radically changed. You see, dear people, there is no such thing as a Christian Scrooge. There absolutely isn't. But when the Word of God, when the power of the Gospel has opened your heart, it also opens your hands. Opens your hands. Now, number two, live with an open hand. We noticed here the importance of growing in the grace of giving. Secondly, an encouragement is to live with an open hand. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 15. I said that when the power of the gospel has opened your heart, it also opens your hands. And let's see what we read here in the Old Testament about living with an open hand. Deuteronomy 15, starting with verse 7. If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land, which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart. And I want you to notice, dear people, there is a connection once again between the heart and the hands. Harden not thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. But thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. <laughs> now this could be a, a matter of discussion and perhaps debate. But, but notice, notice who is deciding how much to give. <laughs> we won't spend much time there, but, it's, but it says there, Lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Okay, let's move on. But we're talking about a heart that is generous and a heart that's not critical or cynical, but that is overflowing with the grace of God. Verse 9. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him naught, and he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. What he's saying there is, okay, so don't say in your heart, let's see, this is the sixth year. Oh, next year is the year of of release. That's when everything is restored. That's when we go back to to square one. I'm just going to put him off for a few. We just got a few months yet, and then everything will be back, and he'll have what he needs then. Uh Uh-uh. 
God's saying, that is not right. That's a, that's a wicked heart. Verse 10, thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him. Because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land. It's hard to, it's hard to grasp your money. It's hard to grasp your wealth and hold on to that tight when your hand is opened wide. A wide hand doesn't hold much, but it passes through easily. Someone has said this, God has given us two hands, one to receive with and the other to give with. We are not cisterns made for hoarding, but we are channels made for blessing. In this hand and out this hand, we become a channel Thirdly, then, another encouragement for giving is in Luke chapter 6. Turn to Luke chapter 6. And this is give without hope for return. Now, you will understand, and you have already, that this kind of giving takes the grace of God. Once again, it is not natural. It's not natural for us to want to grow in this grace. It's not natural for us to want to live with an open hand. It's not natural for us to give without hope of return. But we want to call people accountable. Yeah, I just bought this. It's a good one. It's a Milwaukee. You can use it if you give it back <laughs> in the same shape I gave it to you. You know, I mean, I mean, isn't that wisdom? I mean, we as Mennonites, you know, we, that's good wisdom. You know, we want to be good stewards. <laughs> and sometimes we can use that stewardship thing as a little bit of a, you know. And so we want to be good stewards. But it takes the grace of God to give without hope of return. Luke 6, verse 30. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. <laughs> and as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. <laughs> He's three times in a row. What thank have ye? It's interesting to note that that word thank, the Greek is the same words we get grace. What grace is that? There's no grace in that. Or you could say, what Christianity is that? If that's how you go about life, there ain't no Christianity in that. Sinners do that. That's how, that's how they operate. Verse 35, But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. Do we believe that? You see, that takes faith. That takes faith to put that into practice. And ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. 
Be ye therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. You see, God doesn't play favorites. God is not biased, as it were. God is merciful. God gives and gives and gives some more. And so the call is be like your father. Don't be cynical. Don't be critical. Don't play favorites. But be merciful. Lend. Hoping for nothing again. It's a reflection of the greatest giver the world has ever known. And it takes grace, dear people. It takes faith. But once again, it brings us back to this perspective of whose is it anyway? I mean, whose is it? Is it mine? You see, when we go about life with this is mine mentality, it'll be very hard to put this to practice. But when we go through life with the perspective of all that I have is a gift from God, then it's much easier to open your hand and let it go. Certainly, God knows how to take care of his stuff. It reminds me of the pineapple story. Otto Koning, and, and you know the story, some of you at least. <laughs> very, very powerful uh, story of his experiences in Papua New Guinea. But, you know, he struggled and struggled and struggled as long as he maintained that he needed to have his stuff. And he needed to take care of his stuff. And those were his pineapples. Don't you mess with my pineapples. That's my hoe. And this is my wife. And as long as he tried to grasp on to the things that were his, he had problem after problem, conflict after conflict. But things changed in his life and his ministry when he began consecrating his stuff to God and saying, God, actually, these are your pineapples. And my children, they're your children. This is your hoe. She's your, my wife, she's yours. And when he started consecrating his stuff to God, the whole thing changed. They said, Otto, you've become a Christian now. <laughs> you finally became a Christian. <laughs> he just decided that, you know, God, you can take much better care of your stuff than I can. And he found peace in that. Well, let's turn the page now to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I ask you again, what kind of giver are you? What kind of giver are you? First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 5. I could give more context here, but for sake of time, we'll just kind of dive right in here. I read, therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they should go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, 
and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ, and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men, and by their prayer for you which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. Now, what kind of giver are you? I would like us to notice two kinds of giving that we see in verses 5 through 7. Two kinds of giving. In, the, in those three verses, 5, 6, and 7, we have three descriptions of how not to give and three descriptions of how to give. So let's first of all notice that. Verse 5, it says, not as of covetousness, the end of the verse. Don't give covetously. Verse 6, don't give sparingly. Verse 7, don't give grudgingly or reluctantly, or don't give with an attitude of, okay, well, if I have to, no, don't give like that. But give this way, verse 5, give as a matter of bounty. Verse 6, give bountifully. Verse 7, give cheerfully. Now, let's think for a moment, first of all, about bad giving. Bad giving. You know, in each of these descriptions, the essence of what's wrong is the desire to hold back. I mean, there's giving. In each of them, there is giving, but it's coming from a heart that wants to hold back. The heart is saying, I wish I wouldn't have to give that up. I wish I could keep that, but I'll give. And so you give covetously, or you give grudgingly, or you give reluctantly, or you give whatever. But at the heart of the matter, you'd like to keep it. You'd like to hold on to it. Okay, for example, take the word sparingly. If, if I say, spare my life, I say that, let me keep it. Don't take my life from me. Or if I say, spare no effort, then I'm saying, hold back no effort. In fact, when the Apostle Paul wrote that God did not spare His Son, but He delivered him up for us all. The Apostle Paul is saying that God did not hold back His Son, His one and only Son. But God gave up His Son. He gave it all for you and me. He shared Him. And so, to give sparingly is to give from a heart that deep inside wants to hold back. You want to hold on to part of that. Yes, there's giving, but the real feeling of the heart is not to think about how much I can give, but it's how much can I keep. That's, that's at the center of it all. Let me read something that's a bit humorous, but a bit sobering at the same time. It's titled, For Cure of Cirrhosis of the Giver. Okay, Not to be confused with cirrhosis of the liver. Cirrhosis of the Giver. The disease, cirrhosis of the giver, was discovered in A.D. 34 by the husband-wife team of Ananias and Sapphira. It is an acute condition that renders the patient's hands immobile when he is called on to move them in the direction of his wallet or her purse from thence to the offering plate. 
This strange malady is clinically unobservable in such surroundings as the golf club, supermarket, clothing store, restaurant, Bass Pro Shops, or Amazon. Some try to use a fake remedy pointing out to the patients that income tax deductions can be claimed for giving. But the best therapy, and that which leads to a sure and lasting cure, is to get the individual's heart right with God. This affliction is actually a symptom of a more basic need of the soul. And then it gives a prescribed medication. Frequent doses of Romans 12 verse 1, where we are called to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, which is our reasonable service. And frequent doses of Luke 9.23. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Accompanied with a dash of 2 Corinthians 9.7, where God loves the cheerful giver. This dosage will become quite pleasant if swallowed with a heaping tablespoon of Philippians 4.19. For my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. A bit humorous, but yet sobering as well. And so that's how not to give. But let's look quickly at the positive side, the good giving. And in verse 6 here, the descriptive word is bountifully. Sowing bountifully, reaping bountifully. In fact, in the Greek, it's the same word as the phrase used in verse 5 where it says, as a matter of bounty. And so literally it means to give on the basis of blessing. In other words, our giving should rest upon the fact that our God is a bountifully blessing God. And then in turn, our giving should be a bountiful blessing to others. Once again, we we are channels of blessing where we're receiving uh, rich blessings from God. And then with an open hand, we are channeling those blessings to others. Bountiful. I ask you. How about if God would give to you in the same manner or same proportion as you gave to others? Would that be enough for you? Would that be a rich blessing to you? Think about that. How about if God did that? If He gave in the same manner, same proportion to you as you give to others? Would you just bless His name or would you say, Wish I could have, I need a little more. Verse 7 says here that our giving should be done cheerfully. And it's interesting to note that the word cheerful comes from the Greek word hilaros, which is the same word we get hilarious from. So he's saying that, that our giving should just tickle us. It should, it should cause joy on our face. It should be a happy experience, not something that we... That we you know, do grudgingly or, or say, oh boy, not this again, and, and it makes us, you know, sad. But no, it, it should just tickle our innards to give to people and, and to give as, as a real blessing. You see, you will never find a grumpy, generous giver. But those who are giving out of the bountiful blessing that God has given them They give with a smile on their face. They give with joy in their hearts. It's an overflow of the experience that they have and continue to experience. And so to give bountifully means giving from a heart that wants to share things. You know, something has happened in the heart. The heart has been changed so that the basic desire is no longer, how much can I keep? 
But God has radically changed that heart to think, how much can I give? How much can I give and still meet our needs? And it becomes a thought of, I just wish I could give more and more. Well, let's wrap this up this morning by noting five effects yet of cheerful giving. We'll notice these rather quickly here in chapter 9. But there's five effects of cheerful giving. And I asked you once again, what kind of giver are you? Is your giving a clear expression of the grace of God? Well, the first effect is here in verse 6. You are richly blessed. It says that when you give cheerfully, when you give bountifully, you will reap bountifully. When you share richly, then you will also reap a bountiful harvest. Why? Verse 7, because God loves a cheerful giver. Because the love of God rests in a special way on the person who is a bountiful giver. God will bless that person in special ways. Secondly, what's another effect of cheerful giving? And this is in verses 8 through 11. That is, needs are met. Needs are met. Isn't that amazing that God uses us? That God uses you? He uses His people to meet humongous needs. And and, and we've heard of needs and we've experienced perhaps needs. Maybe financial needs. Maybe uh, health needs. But the church of Jesus Christ, through His blessing, is able to bless one another in amazing ways. Ways that the world just scratches their head over. They're like, how do you do that? Like, how can you get that much money? Like, how can you pay that bill? It's because God has done a radical change in His children's hearts. And they open their hands and there is a giving. Needs are met. Needs are met in your life. Needs are met in the lives of others. But verses 8 through 11 make, make that clear. We won't reread them. But it shows how God is able to make all this abound in amazing ways. And then verse, uh, let's see, verse 12 actually, it says, For the administration of this service not only supplies the want of the saints. So it speaks of how this is supplying the needs in your life and the needs in others. Thirdly, then, another effect of cheerful giving is your profession is proven. Verse 13, your profession is proven. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God. Why? For your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ. So when you give, when you give, it then proves that you are living as you talk, okay? You say, I'm a believer. I've experienced the gift of God's grace. When you then pour out yourself in ways of money, time, and energy, you are then proving that you are who you say you are. That God has worked in your life. Once again, that doesn't come natural, but it is a display of the grace of God in your life. And so I say, cheerful giving proves your profession. Fourthly then... Your testimony is attractive. Verse 14. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. When you become a cheerful, generous giver, people look at you and say, that's beautiful. Like I see Jesus in that person. 
That's not, that's not natural. But look how they're giving sacrificially. Look how they're doing that. I wish I could be more that way. And not only does it point to the person, but even more so, it points to the grace of God that is working through that person. Once again, that person then becomes not a cistern for hoarding, but a channel for blessing. In your life, your testimony becomes attractive. It draws people ultimately to Jesus Christ. And then fifthly, God is glorified. <laughs> That's an effect. It's the mighty effect of cheerful giving. God is glorified. Verse 11, we read that this causes through us thanksgiving to God. Verse 12 says, but is abundant also by many thanksgiving unto God. Verse 13 says, by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God. And verse 15 says, thanks be unto God for His unspeakable gift. So when you give cheerfully, generously, sacrificially, God ultimately is glorified. The glory goes to Him. Dear people, our God is a giving God. He gives, and He gives, and He gives some more. And perhaps some of that was on the mind of the poet Annie Johnson Flint when she penned these words. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, He addeth His mercy. To multiplied trials, His multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half gone, when we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches in Jesus, He giveth and giveth and giveth again. I trust you've been a recipient of that. And if you have, then I just leave you with these words of Jesus, which are really the thrust of this message in a nutshell. Freely you have received. Freely give. May God, may God give us strength to perform that. Let's pray. Lord, you have blessed us richly with your gospel again and how it speaks into the practical everyday areas of our life. And Father, we pray that you would just open our hearts to the truth of your word. Father, may your Holy Spirit continue to uh, put his finger on areas of our life that need to be changed more and more, transformed into your likeness. And Father, we know that this area of giving can sometimes be a difficult thing for us. We like to be known as people who are generous and give, but Father, I confess that it hits close home. Sometimes we, we are not able or not willing to truly give as we ought. And Father, I pray that as we reflect on the great gift of God and you sending Jesus and holding nothing back, but giving Jesus for us all to redeem us, to save us. When we reflect on that great gift of grace, I pray that it would transform our hearts and then also open our hands. That needs may be met, 
that we could then be channels of blessing, that we could have joy in our hearts and a smile on our face, and most of all, that you would be glorified. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'll call for a song. Number 361. 361. Lord, help us, Lord.